I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mark McBride. And this is a podcast about that time we made up two whole new styles of yo-yo play. And at the time, nobody cared. And now, a few people care. Maybe. All right, so this podcast really is going to be about kind of the modern history of yo-yoing and our place in it. You know, you and I, we were exactly lucky enough to come around at just the right time where as far as yo-yoing is concerned, like almost nothing existed. So it was really easy for us to become like foundational parts of modern yo-yoing because you know, we came around at exactly the right time when the technology improved dramatically and the players hadn't yet. Duncan had stopped doing uh, promotion, like the regular promotions that we think of in the 70s. And then there was a lot of stuff going on in the background, which refired yo-yos built through the, in the, like underneath everything in the 80s and 90s. And then when it refired in the 90s, there was a huge vacuum left from the fact that nothing had happened for 20 years. Yeah. The tricks hadn't changed, uh, the technology hadn't changed, and then all of a sudden, like, late 80s, early 90s, um, transaxle yo-yos and ball-bearing yo-yos started happening. And so all of a sudden now, like, the yo-yos could now spin 10 times as long, and nobody knew what to do with that, because the old guard, like the older guys that were still around, um, they were like, oh, well, I can just do several of my tricks and then catch it. And they weren't coming up with anything new on top of that. So it was, there's like an early skateboarding quote from Craig Stasek, um, where he he basically says, you know, like, of course, kids would come up with the new thing. And that's what happened with yo-yoing. Like, we were, we were old enough to have, like, ideas about things, but we were young enough not to ever find any of it daunting or impossible. So we just did it, you know, and... A lot of people, you know, like a lot of yo-yo players have asked, like, how'd you come up with this? How'd you come up with this? And I'm like, dude, anybody can come up with anything in a void. You know, it's not hard to be creative when there's nothing, there's nothing else. Yeah, yeah there's so much room. But let's do this. But like, man, we could, like, yo-yoing has like this two seams. There's like modern yo-yoing and pre-modern yo-yoing. Like, like that's a huge story. And yeah, we happen to be right there at the crack and the transition between the two. So there's five divisions of play. One, two, three, four, five, a, I made up five, a, you made up three, a one, a and two, a have existed since like the fucking 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's 40% of the divisions of the world yo-yo contest, dude. That is 40. So yeah. So 40% of divisions at the world yo-yo contest have been around since the thirties. The other 40% were created by the two of us within a, what, like five year span. Velvet Rolls was a year before 5A, before you showed up for 99 BAC. So yeah, they were within a year of each other. So yeah, so in a one-year span, you and I created 40% of modern yo-yoing. And I have made shit for money off of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's the problem with royalties. A percentage of a small amount is still a small amount. (laughs) Let's start the uh, the Steve Brown origin story. 5A 
premiered at BAC 99. But Steve Brown did not start yo-yoing, you know, in January of 99. And I know this because I knew you before you (laughs) yo-yoed. No, you didn't. I did. No, you met me when I started at Lofty Pursuits. No, no. I still remember when I met you. And it was before you started at Lofty Pursuits. And I'll tell you why. I met you one night and I still, and I, and I don't know why I remember this, but other than like, it's been one hell of a ride, Mr. Brown, that I remember being at the student union at Florida State University and Oliver or Reigns walked up. We were seeing, I want, I want to even say like Dazed and Confused. It was some like movie that they were showing and walked up and they said, Hey, this is my buddy, Steve. And I think that, and I remember that it was something that like, they might've even made a joke about this, but I remember that you and I had like, like you had a, a black leather jacket on and obviously Reigns and Oliver who were not black leather jacket type guys would, you know, kind of thing. So you, you were introduced. So we were introduced there because of whatever gothy circles you hung with CPA kids, the, what was the, what was the coffee shop? Epitome. Epitome. The Epitome kids. Epitome Community Coffee Museum. Exactly. I remember. So we became like standard friend of friends type stuff through that. And I, and I remember this because there was a point where you were trying to get a job at Lofty and Greg actually asked me, should I hire Steve Brown? He seems like he's, he seems like a solid enough guy. And Greg was like, I'm really just hiring him to sit in the back and screw yo-yos together. And I was like, yeah, he's probably good for manual labor. We got to start earlier than that. Cause I know, I know enough of your history that it did not start with you saying, I should really screw yo-yos together in the back of a shop in Tallahassee, Florida. No, no. Steve Brown started um, somewhere. 1976. (laughs) I was born in 76. My first experience with a yo-yo was somewhere around like 87 or 88. And what it is, is there was a, a school down the street and they had like a day camp thing that my parents were sending me off to because it was walkable. Like I literally could just like walk down there and like walk home afterwards. Um, so my parents signed me up for this day camp and some yo-yo guy came and part of the day camp is they were, they were, they taught us like the, the five tricks, right? Throw a sleeper, walk the dog around the world, forward pass, rock the baby. And, you know, they taught us these tricks and then, you know, they gave us like a week to learn them. And then they were going to have a little five trick contest at the end of it. So I, I spent my week like practicing, practicing, and I had a neighbor, Brian Colleen, who had a Duncan Glow Imperial, which is way better than the crappy Duncan Neo that I had. Yeah. And so I would go over to his house every day after I got done with camp and he would let me use his Glow Imperial and I would practice my tricks. Now, let me pause you right there for a second. Now, we now know a lot of people who that was their career. Yeah. And did that. Looking back, do you have any idea who that was? I have tried. I have I have racked my brain. I have tried so hard to figure out who the hell that was. And I've even gone so far as to quiz uh, Brad Countryman, because here's the thing. The prize for the contest was a hummingbird yo-yo. OK, so it was not a Duncan. So this was somebody who like 
not only were they a yo-yo demonstrator, but they were a yo-yo demonstrator who was paying attention, okay. right? So this was somebody who like knew other yo-yo players and knew Brad somehow. I, I've not been able to figure out who it was. I would love to find this person. So, you know, if anybody hears this and you happen to have been like running yo five trick yo-yo contest at summer camps in Jacksonville, Florida in the mid eighties and giving away hummingbird yo-yos as prizes, please find me. So, you know, it was like a week or two weeks of like practice, practice, practice. And then we had like the, the five trick contest. And then they said for a bonus points, you can, if you made up a trick, you could do it. And I hadn't made up a trick, but I had found double or nothing in that old green Duncan trick book that Brian oh. Colleen had. And so I did it, which everybody was like, whoa, and I won the contest. <laughs> so I won the contest. I got the hummingbird yo-yo, which I still have. I've still got it sitting upstairs in no a display way. case. And every once in a while I pull, I mean, and that thing is beat to hell, but every yeah. once in a while I pull it out and play with it. It still plays really sweet. That was my first experience with yo-yoing. And I, I played I played the hell out of that yo-yo all summer long. And then, you know, summer was over, school started, it, it went into a box or it went into a drawer and that was it. I didn't think about it again for years. Because I remember when you started, you were not like, check out my tricks that I can do. No, but you know what? I remembered those six tricks. And it was remembering those six tricks that got me the job. Fast forward to, um, you know, 1995. So I have graduated. I graduated high school in 94. Uh, by 95, I was I had moved from Jacksonville to Tallahassee. And I had managed to end up through a series of incredibly piss poor decisions. Uh, I had managed to end up unemployed and homeless in Tallahassee. And it was I mean, it was like the classic like idiot 20 year old, like just dumbassery. You know, I like moved i moved from jacksonville to tallahassee with exactly the wrong people they turned out to be just absolute garbage roommates i had like a crappy food service job that you know what attracted you to tallahassee why tallahassee i moved to tallahassee because it was not jacksonville that was literally it i just had to get the hell out of jacksonville and like i you know i had these two friends that were like talking about moving to tallahassee and i'm like dude let's go like i'll help pay rent i'll pay whatever we need to do like let's go and they were just, and for them, they were like, oh, cool. We got a third person helping pay rent. Like, awesome. Let's do this. Now it's the, the, for a lot of people that don't know is that's less random than it sounds because Tallahassee was, uh, like a major college town in Northern in North Florida. Cause that's where Florida state university is. Yeah. It was a major college town. The weird thing about it is that neither of my roommates were going to college. So I don't know why they picked Tallahassee. But for me, it was like, I didn't care. I just wanted to get the fuck out of Jacksonville. I just wanted to get out of there. So it was it was kind of random, honestly. Like, it's, yeah. I mean, it's not random to go to Tallahassee. It's pretty random to choose Tallahassee if you're not going to college. Um, so I ended up in Tallahassee. The two roommates turned out to just be, like, awful people. You know, was dating this girl at the time, and then I moved in with her, and then that whole thing blew up, and it was just, like... In the span of a week, I lost my job and then broke off this relationship and was just like wandering around Tallahassee with like a big army duffel bag with everything I owned in it. <laughs> in those boots, I still remember the, oh my gosh, you were such a, like we used to tease you about being a stick of beef jerky because you were skinny and smoked too much. And yeah. the, and I remember in classic punk rock fashion, you had the army boots because back in the day, like 
it was still punk rock to use military surplus stuff. Well, because docks were too expensive, but you know, you like it was it was like it was like eighty or ninety bucks for a pair of docks, but you could get like army surplus combat boots for like forty bucks. And I swear they were three sizes too big for you. They look I like mean, fucking clown shoes. Well, I've got <laughs> I've I've got like a size. I wear like a size twelve. So the and the problem is is that combat boots look big and ridiculous anyway. So it was like, yeah. I mean, they looked like they looked like fucking clown shoes. Of course, they oh, yeah. Were. Just you walking around with military surplus, like duffel bag, clown shoe boots, a hardware store cha- wallet chain, which was never meant to be a wallet chain. <laughs> no, yeah. My my wallet chain at the time weighed probably ten pounds. Oh, it weighed more than you did. We used to always yeah. laugh about it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But, you know, that's, yeah. So, you know, I was wandering around town. (laughs) I was wandering around town. I weighed under 100 pounds at that point um, with, you know, everything I owned lugging around in a duffel bag behind me. And I found found a couple spots to sleep. I found a few spots on campus that I could get into, like, if it was raining, uh, where I could get into to, like, stay dry. And then I found a spot on top of, there was a subway on um what was the main drag in tallahassee tennessee tennessee so tennessee street so there was um there was a subway there and i found like this little spot that was kind of like half covered on the roof and so i would sleep there or i would sleep in one of like the fully covered spots on campus that i could find or i would literally like crash in like friends cars or like couch surf like i mean i was bouncing all over the place because um, that's what I knew. You. Like, I, my memory was that you were always living with somebody else. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, I don't think anybody, most of my friends at the time didn't realize that I was like full blown homeless because I was kind of covering my tracks. I didn't stay with anybody for too terribly long. And I didn't want to tell anybody what was actually going on because I was embarrassed about it. So I just, you know, sort of bullshitted my way through things and, um, and just I spend my days walking around town, just like putting in applications everywhere. So one day I wandered into Lofty Pursuits, which was the kite store um, that uh, you were working at at the time. Yeah. Wandered in there and I had met Greg at Epitome because I hung out at Epitome, yeah. the Epitome Community Coffee Museum, which was such like a perfect 90s coffee shop. You know, it was really dead during the daytime because the students uh, didn't start coming in until later in the afternoon. And so Helene would let me like crash out on like a couch in the back and I would help like sweep up and like clean up and stuff. And she would, you know, give me a meal and some coffee. So I was hanging out there like a lot and like starting to like make some friends and everything. And I remember Greg coming in. Didn't know who he was. He was just this big, loud dude. You know, Greg was the kind of person that like if he was in a room, you knew it. Yeah, um, Absolutely. And I didn't necessarily know him. I didn't know anything. He, he wasn't even talking about his business or anything. He was just being very Greg. So when I walked into Lofty Pursuits that day and saw him, like I immediately recognized him. I was like, you know, hey, I saw the sign in the window. Are you guys still hiring? And he just l- kind of looks at me. And I was, I mean, I was disgusting. I had been walking around all day. The shop was like a couple of miles from where I was sleeping. So I was, I mean, it was like midday Tallahassee. Like I was sweating I was dirty. I'm sure I smelled like a monkey's asshole wearing filthy clothes, giant combat boots, like just real thin, like 
it's a wonder any place let me walk in the door, period. And so he just kind of looks at me and he's like, uh, can you juggle? And I'm like, no. And he's like, can you yo-yo? And I'm like, no. And he was just like, well, come back when you can and maybe I'll give you a job. And he just like turned around and wandered off. <laughs> so I fucking stole a yo-yo. No shit. I, <laughs> I totally stole a yo-yo. He had like the he had like this weird little corner display case with like a handful of yo-yos sitting on those bent acrylic stands. You remember the case? No, I'm gonna laugh uh, because one thing I will give Greg credit like I'll give Greg credit for a lot of things, but I remember one of the things that we did there. You know, a lot of times turns out that stealing isn't about what people want; it's just about stealing. You know, like a lot of shoplifting is just kids being kids. Right. So. We literally had at the cart in the mall and also at the shop, he had a basket of the cheapest, crappiest yo-yos, the $1 impulse sale yo-yos. Right. And so we were like, oh, we put those out for like the little impulse sale. And I'm using air quotes kind of thing. He's like, yeah, but it's also, it's basically a a shoplifter trap. (laughs) It was the yo-yos that you put out for kids that think they're going to shoplift and then they you know they would take one of those and it was like a 25 cent piece of crap yo-yo and it's like it, it's stubborn so i'm just having flashes to you like going like oh yeah i'm gonna steal a yo-yo Zoinks! and it would just be like take it <laughs> no but i stole a decent one i stole a pro yo um, oh nice and it was and it, and it had like the brass hex axle like i remember this model in particular it had a brass hex axle in it uh, and I totally just pocketed it and like left quickly and I'm sure he noticed immediately, but whatever. Um, and that, so I thought I practiced, like, I was like, I could kind of remember the tricks from when I was a kid. So like, I got the sleeper back and I got like the forward pass and the around the world and like the proyos were super narrow. So like being able to hit that trapeze and that double or nothing, like was kind of hard. That's basically what I spent the week on. And so then I go back. And I slipped the yo-yo out of my pocket and put it back on the display case next to the other Proyo that he had replaced it with. <laughs> Real slick. And uh, I was just like, hey, you know, are you guys still hiring? And he's like, I feel like we've had this conversation before. You know, can you juggle? And I'm like, yeah. And I grabbed three balls and I had literally like, you know, using like rocks and like bundled up socks and everything, like figured out how to just juggle three balls. Couldn't do a single trick, but I could like get three in the air and then catch them, you know, and that was it. And he was just like, all right. And I was like, and I can yo-yo too. And he was just like, what? And I was like, yeah. Uh, and I go, and I walk over to the little display case and I surreptitiously grab the pro-yo that i had stolen and putting back and 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 he just kind of looks at me and i took the yo-yo and i immediately did like sleeper walk the dog rock the baby trapeze and then when i hit the double or nothing he just looked at me so greg goes you're hired and i'm like really and he goes no (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like he just goes no and i'm like wait what and he's like no and he's just like, you know, it's great that you learned how to do these things, but I don't know. I don't know you. I'm, I can't just hire you and let you in my store. And I'm like, oh, OK, uh, but I like I learned how to yo-yo. And he's like, yeah, how did you do that? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I was just like, OK, well, you know, if you need anybody, uh you can reach me. And I gave him the number for epitome. 
because he was like, you know, what's the number I can reach you at? And I was like, uh, you can call here and just ask for Steve. And he's like, is this your house? And I'm like, no. I was like, it's a coffee shop that I hang out at sometimes, <laughs> which which is a terrible thing to tell somebody you're trying to get a job for. But I, I saw then I saw him at the pit that night and I was just like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, so you really do just hang out here? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, and we, we talked a little bit, but he was he was very wary of me. And, you know, rightfully so. I was sketchy as fuck. And I had literally just auditioned for a job with a yo-yo that I stole and returned. I would love to do a better placement of all the people involved because I feel like he got to a point of going like, hey, what about this Steve guy after? I feel like Arlo was already working for him and like Lori and a couple other people. Like there was a stack of people and then he needed more people. That came later. Um, because I mean, cause when I first started, when he did finally hire me, which I mean, I was like, he would come into the epitome regularly and I was mercilessly hounding him. And I think at one point he talked to Helene and Helene was like, yeah, I know he's a lot, but he's a good kid. And so at some point he hired me, but he hired me specifically because that was when Dale Oliver started Spintastics, yeah. which at the time was still called Oliver's Toys. And, and Greg had basically said, well, you know, I've already got a shop making juggling equipment. I can assemble your yo-yos for you. No problem. And so he got that gig. And then he, that was the point where he's like, I need more hands because the juggling stuff was still going strong. So, you know, he was still making like juggling torches and devil sticks and filling juggling balls and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he needed more hands to do the yo-yos and I was just hounding him mercilessly. So that was it. That was my job was sitting in the back, uh, that crappy little back room on Tharp street and, uh, and just assembling these Oliver toys, fantastic yo-yos, which I immediately pocketed a couple of them and then kept practicing yo-yoing. And that's like, that's all I did is like, I just, I assembled yo-yos and then I would take smoke breaks and yo-yo the whole time. That was all I did. I, I remember Dale came through town like after we had started doing like the assembly process because yeah, we would get the stuff. Greg had enough of kind of workforce and or tap of these like epitome pseudo college kids that he could just fill out the ranks and just be building the stuff for Dale. Right. And there was a point where Dale actually came through town. We all got to like meet Dale. Yeah. And I remember after that, joking with Mike and or Greg and or Chuck, the guys, you know, the guys at the shop about how like you just spent like however many days with Dale. And when he left, it was like, Dale was the coolest kid on the playground. I'm going to be like, Dale, did you hear Dale's story about this? And it was (laughs) like, Oh, there it goes. Yeah. No, and it was, I mean, it was one of those things where, like, hanging out and talking to him, I realized, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, this could be my thing. This could be the thing that I do as a job. Because, you know, it had never, it certainly never occurred to me before then, you know, just sitting in that back room and assembling yo-yos, you know, I was just grateful to, you know, starting to be approaching this point where I would have enough money to pay rent somewhere and could actually, like, live somewhere, which is what that job let me do. Oh, gosh, I hope that Greg doesn't get pissed at us for telling this story. We would worry the account wasn't going to have enough money to pe- cash your paycheck. And so we would always, like, 
get our paychecks on Friday or like every other Friday. And then we would it race. Was a race. To <laughs> and I remember one time you, me and Chuck, like Chuck had the car. We drove to the bank because we were like going to go get some lunch. Like, and we're like, oh, we all got to cash our paychecks because none of us had any money just so that we could get Wendy's or something. And like we parked and we're all starting to walk. I started to walk faster. And then Chuck started walking. And we all started walking. And then we, by the time we got to the door, we had broken into a run to see who could get to the line at the bank first. Because <laughs> there was a good chance the third guy's check was going to bounce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, it was... Uh... Greg's Greg's early operation was pretty skin of its teeth. I don't know how it is now, but like it's a lot better. It's a lot better now. I will give Greg credit. It's a lot better now. Yeah. So that you know, my job was basically just sitting yeah. in the back assembling stuff, and then he set up the the cart at the mall for the first time that holiday season. The the holiday cart the cart had been there for a little while because that's when I started working there. I was working at the cart between classes. I hadn't been working there that long. I mean, like, you know, like less than a year. And then, and you were, yeah, you were one of the, the keep them in the back trolls. But at some point, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So what happened is somebody didn't show up. Somebody was supposed to open the cart and it was, I mean, I don't remember who it was. It it was some random person that he had hired temporarily for the season. It wasn't mm-hmm. like one of the regulars, but so the, this random person was like a total no call, no show. And with the mall, like if you had one of those carts or if you had a store or whatever it was, if you opened late, they would fine you like a hundred bucks or 150 bucks for like every 15 minutes late mm-hmm. you opened. Cause you know, obviously, I mean, it's the mall, like they don't want you, they don't want people walking through the store and seeing things that are closed during normal mall operating hours. I'm at the shop and I'm sitting in the back assembling stuff. And I mean, at the time I had like this fucking huge mohawk and greg is just like can you run a cash register and i'm like yeah and he was like here uh put this hat on and he just like threw a hat to me and i like put this hat on and uh he gave me a lofty pursuits t-shirt to throw on and he drove me out to the mall and was like here's the keys everything's underneath just go i'll be back or you know i'll be back in like an hour or two and so I'm just like, oh, yeah. So I, I like go tearing ass in there, like unlock the thing, like get everything open, try to make it, you know, pull out the inventory and like set everything up and try and make it look like decent. And uh, and I had no idea how to run the cash <laughs> register. And so like I had five bucks in my pocket. That was it. That was all I fucking had. And I gave the guy at the sunglass booth next to us five bucks. I was like, dude, will you teach me how to use this thing? Because he had the same one. Taught me how to use the cash register. And I like figured it all out. And then I just sat there and Greg did not come back in an hour. Greg was gone the entire rest of the day. <laughs> so around like, I guess it was around like three thirty ish or something. Like the kids were getting out of school and showing up at the mall. And like, I had spent the whole day at this point, like watching the Arnie Dixon instructional video on a loop and watching. Yeah. On a loop and, and alternating between that and this juggling instructional video um, I can't remember the dude's name, but I remember he had like, you know, like this Mormon brown haircut and he was wearing like a red V-neck sweater and it was like the dorkiest looking thing imaginable. But, you know, Wait, I was like learning like I, somebody made a VHS how to juggle video that was dorky. Yeah, I know. Hard to believe. <laughs> right. So I spent the day like working on like trying to learn a couple of yo-yo tricks and trying to learn a couple of juggling tricks. By the time like the kids started to get out of school, like I could do like 
instead of just being able to juggle three balls, I could kind of do like two tricks with three balls, but I'd figured out like four or five more yo-yo tricks, like relatively quickly. Um, so by the time the kids got out of school and like, and keep in mind, I'm like 21, 22 at this point. Um, no, not yeah, even. I don't think I'm you were like even that 20. because I'm still like 20. Yeah. I'm still like 19, 20 at this point. So I was I was exactly the right age to be like in that like cool older brother zone, mm-hmm. right? So these kids show up at the cart and I'm just hanging out and I'm throwing like the rumorangs. Remember oh yeah, those rumor little foam boomerang. boomerangs. Yeah, little foam boomerang with like a 10 foot radius. So you just like throw it, catch it, throw it, catch it. And, you know, they see that and they come by the booth and they're like looking at the yo-yos and I'm like, oh, here, you want to see a yo-yo trick? And I, you know, I did like my five or six tricks or whatever that I could do. And, uh, and I sold like a shitload of yo-yos because there's, I mean, this is, you know, this is when you could get like an okay yo-yo for like five or six bucks. We had the, it was the Dale Oliver stuff, the Spintastics, the Dale, the Oliver's Toys Technics were like $5 or $6. I'm going to stop you for a second. I'm going to stump, I'm going to jump on your story because it's funnier if you don't tell this part. So you did, you, you did your day, but so, but Greg goes, picks you up, brings you back to the shop as per the arrangement, right? You were gone and Greg was like, dude, Steve's numbers killed. <laughs> he was like, like he was surprised. And I was like, I mean, none of us had high hopes. It was mostly just like, hey, look, we didn't burn. He didn't, he didn't burn the place down. It was going to be a success. But so Greg was genuinely surprised that you were like, wow, you really crushed it. And we're like, well, I mean, he is a, he's a charismatic guy that talks a lot. I'm sure sales are in his blood, you know? <laughs> talk a big game so i guess we should be surprised and we're like no maybe he's just lucky i think he's just lucky it, it was just it, it might have just been luck or like and then you had like a multiple days like there was a couple of days of like greg's like that oh, was we'll send steve back out to the cart after that and it was just like look the numbers were really good and it was like it must be luck you know like steve's so funny looking it's got to be luck and so we're like he's, he's obviously a leprechaun it's just that steve's a leprechaun after about like five of these, like I guess a week or two later, he was telling the story about how he'd drive you out to the store. You know, he'd drive you out to the cart, do your thing, then come and get you after the shift's over uh, and whoever's doing the second shift. And after like, a, we'll say five to six really good days in a row of crushing it, having the best numbers you can, you were doing a little like, I'm a little leprechaun. I'm the lucky leprechaun dancing song in the van. <laughs> Or your car on the way back <laughs> yeah but that so that first day he came he came back to the cart and it was end of the day and i was exhausted because i was you know like i didn't realize how busy it was at all like, i was not prepared for that he's like he's looking around at the cart and he walks up and he's got kind of a weird look on his face he's looking around and he's looking at all the stock on the cart and he doesn't say anything to me and then he immediately like goes underneath and like opens up the storage doors underneath and he's like looking and he's like, where is everything? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, where is the inventory? And I'm like, oh, there wasn't that much underneath. Like, you know, every time we'd sell stuff, I'd sort of pull more out to make it like look full. But like, we're kind of out. And I didn't understand what he was getting at. And I, but I realized later, like he told me later, he thought that I had just, that we, I had just given away shit or we had gotten robbed. Like until he ran the numbers and realized I had actually sold stuff, he walked up to the cart and saw like this dumbass that he entrusted with his cart for the day, 
and a bunch of his inventory gone and just automatically assumed the worst. So he's like, he's walking around the cart and checking everything out and everything. And then he, he does like the end of day and like pulls the numbers. And he's not talking to me at this point. He's not saying anything, but he's clearly irritated. And he's like, pull it and like looks at the numbers and he looks at me and then he just stuffs all of it in his pocket. And he's like, all right, where do you need a ride to? <laughs> and I'm like, you can just drop me off at the pit. That's fine. And so he drops me. He doesn't say a word on the whole fucking drive there. Doesn't say shit to me. Drops me off at the coffee house and leaves. And I'm like, I'm fucked. I just lost this job. I don't know what is going on, but he is mad about it or something. Like, I don't know what I did. What did I fuck? And I'm sitting there like all night long. And I'm just sitting there hanging out with friends and drinking coffee all night. And I'm just like, I don't know what I did, but like, I thought I, you know, I thought I nailed it. I thought I did really good. And this guy seems really pissed off at me. And I think I fucked it up somehow. So it's really funny that, you know, that that was basically just him being in shock and assuming <laughs> that there was something wrong with those numbers. Again, you were a leprechaun. You, it was lucky, you know? <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine why he would immediately, why anybody would go with leprechaun. I think you were the one who did the leprechaun thing. I think I think that we just called you lucky and you were the one who was like, I'm a little leprechaun. I mean, that's, I guess that's plausible. That sounds like the kind of dumbass joke I would make. So that was it. So that was, that was how I started. Like that was sort of my re-entry into yo-yoing. And then from that point, like he had me at the cart all the time. And I was just, I would sit there and I would watch all of the instructional videos. So he had the, the Arnie Dixon videos. He had all four volumes of those awful Dennis McBride videos where it's just him standing in front of his garage door showing yo-yo tricks yeah. and i just sat and watched yo-yo and juggling videos all day long and just practiced and practiced and practiced and mostly like i would get there and have to open the card at 9 a.m but the kids didn't get out of school and show up until like three o'clock in the afternoon so every yeah. single day i had what you know five six hours to just practice completely unbothered and yeah you and i must have I had at least Wednesdays and maybe a couple other days a week where I was doing that morning shift too. And yeah, like you had nothing to do because nobody showed up and it was just sit around and learn every prop and work on your tricks. Yeah. And that's, you know, he sold enough stuff. Like we, we had the rumorings, we had the stunt kites, we had darts, um, we had juggling equipment you know, balls, rings, clubs, Diablos, devil sticks. We had the yo-yos, we had spin tops, we had stacking dice. Like, I mean, it was just like every random skill toy of any kind. And we had yeah. to be able to, to demo all of it. So we learned all of it. And I, I gotta say, like, I mean, it was like, there was definitely like yo-yos are definitely what I, I went for like fully. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I got up to being like a solid five ball juggler. I, I was able to, I qualified seven, like a couple of times, um, never got any kind of good at that, but like, I was able to kind of get it like two or three times. I remember that was the tension where I never got five balls, but I could do four balls and you skipped four balls. And that was like the, like you razzing me for being like the even juggler. And you were the you were the more manly five ball. Well, juggler. it was and it was one of those things that I realized later is that like evens and odds are so completely different that almost yeah, all jugglers totally veer stuff. off and do one or the other. And, you know, like the better jugglers, like the more professional folks will learn both and they'll learn a bunch of tricks with both. But everybody has a preference because 
even numbers, the patterns don't cross and odd numbers, the patterns yeah. cross. So it's a totally different feel, yeah. totally different vibe. But yeah, you always went for evens. I always went for odds, which is like a funny, it's definitely a funny way to kind of describe our friendship for sure. The other thing that I remember when you were absolutely embracing being Dale Oliver 2.0 was that you were getting on your high horse about transaxles where you were like, I can do everything you can do with a wood axle. Like you, like everything that I would do with a, with a transaxle, you were like out to prove that you could do with a wood axle. Well, and yeah, it was so, it was at this weird time when transaxles were out, but they weren't readily available and they still weren't very good. The, the, the only stuff that had bearings in it at the time was like the Tom Coon stuff. And those were all still double looped. So the string, the string didn't slide around it. The Raider didn't come out until I had been working at Lofty for like a year. I disagree with you on that. I'm pretty sure we had Raiders and RB2s no. before. But we also had the Fireballs and the, what was the Power Spin? Fireball, we had the Fireball and the Power Spin. Those, those are what you had when I first started. The Raider, I remember okay. when the Raider came out because the first one we got at the store, I was like, you know, how much longer of a spin time can a bearing really give you? And I threw it as hard as I was throwing wooden axles. And it came yeah. up faster than I was expecting and clocked me right in the forehead. And I almost knocked myself the fuck out. No, that you know what that was? I remember this story. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your I'm gonna steal your episode for a second. At some point I had I had learned about the one inch punch, like Bruce Lee's one inch punch. Mm -hmm. Now the physics of the one inch punch is that you use your whole body. Now, usually if you put your fist a one inch away from something and tell someone to punch someone, they just use their elbow, right. you know, like they use the wrist elbow. But Bruce Lee would shift his whole body starting at his ankles and just send it up his arm like a wave. So you have like the full weight of your body hitting with that one. That's the physics of the one inch right. punch. And we had always been telling kids like when you do a yo-yo throw, throw with your elbow, like get your elbow up so that you're using the weight of your arm, not just your wrist, because that's what your natural inclination is to just throw a yo-yo with your wrist, but you got to throw it with your whole right. arm. When I heard this, I was like, I wonder if the physics apply. I'm at my apartment, uh, like my little one bedroom used to be a hotel cinder block apartment and by myself one night. And I'm like, I'm going to try this physics thing with this. So I got my uh, whatever Yomega I had at the time. Probably a power spin because that was your yo-yo of choice for a long time. Yeah, I think I'm sure that it was my, a power spin. And so I kind of like, you know, I relaxed. I was like, thought this through again. And I'm like, I wonder how good. It so, and I went and I threw it and it shot right out the end of the string, broke the string, bounced off three walls and landed in front of me. And I was like, holy cow, you know? So I came into the shop and I went, guys, I just broke a, I just threw a yo-yo so hard. I broke it out the bottom of the That's string. That's what it was. I was trying, we, cause we were, we had done this with wooden axles. Like we were doing this all the time with wooden axles because with the wood and the cotton strings, like it is really, it is not that hard. And that was something that like I had prided myself on because I used to brag about carrying a sack of extra wooden axles in my pocket because I would burn them. All day long, I would burn wooden axles. So it was, I could no problem burn a wooden axle on a single throw. And you were like, yeah, I just did it with a transaxle. And I'm like, bullshit. 
because this was exactly at our height of like anything you can do with the transaction, I can do with the yeah. wood. Oh my and God, so I forgot you about were, this. You were all about like, I can do it with a, tra- I don't know if you did with a transaction. It was a Raider. Like- it, was my, it was my first time throwing a Raider because they had just come in that day. And I was like, all right, fine, I'm going to do it. And I, that thing came back so hard, clocked me right so in the hard. face. You, Dude, I went you, down. I went you down did. in it. You did. I remember it so distinctly. You you were like, I was like, okay, so here's the physics. You start like with a wave, you start at the bottom, you throw it, and you're like, I got this, I got this, I'm going to do this, you know, like flexed. And then you go, boom. And you're right. It didn't break. It was like a knot or something. It just went straight down and straight back to your forehead. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, I had, <laughs> I just had a pow. red third eye on my forehead for like a full two days after that. You hit yourself so hard. We like, we, we all went like, oh, shit. You know, and you just held your head. And I just remember you putting your hand out and you're just Take like, get off my hand. Get this fucking thing, get off, this my fucking thing off my hand. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And like, and we were, I hit we myself were... so hard that y'all didn't even laugh. Like you didn't well, laugh and not into yeah, your face. Well, you didn't, not you didn't face. laugh until later. I hit myself so hard that at that moment, you guys were like, I think Steve just fucking killed himself. Like it was so bad. And then afterwards, yeah, you had to get me a chair. I was on. You were, the you were like, you were like leaning in the dart lane. You were like holding yourself up in the dart lane with your hand out. being like, get this off my hand. And we're like, Steve can't stand up. We got to get him a yeah. chair. That was, <laughs> and we, it was bad. And we're all like, are you okay? And in the meantime, we're like looking at each other, like trying to choke back the laughter. Like we were like, Steve might've really hurt himself. Yeah, no, it was, that was bad. That was, that was hands down. That was the hardest I've ever hit myself with a yo-yo in my entire career. That is the worst I have ever hurt myself with a yo-yo. And it was, whoo, that was rough. Damn. Yeah. I forgot about the whole one inch punch thing. Yeah. That was, uh, that was dumb. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. Easily. Top top 10. <laughs> I left Tallahassee not long after that because I graduated and moved to Los right. Angeles. You graduated film school from Florida State and you were like, I'm going to go yeah. to LA and make movies, bitches. Yeah. So then, and then, I mean, obviously we stayed in touch a little bit. I stayed in touch with you guys. And then um, flash forward, things kicked in. Like Greg had been lining up a website, a magazine, and a book. I had gone to LA for a while and then started working on a started working on the book and then got the job at Yomega. And and then you popped up like what was happening, what was happening all this time in Tallahassee? So I was Greg had started running like contests, like little like local contests. And I was starting to like run those. I was starting to do uh, like school and library appearances to like help promote them. Not a lot of those, just very, very rarely. Um, but yeah. I was, I, I had transitioned to the guy who um, he'd gotten somebody else to like largely run the cart. And I was mostly at the storefront um, because, you know, the storefront moved over to uh, Lake Ella, which is basically just like right across the street. It moved storefronts to Lake Ella, which was like a much prettier location. And there was a lot of room for people to just hang out outside. Um, so I was doing like a ton of just like teaching and and I had become like his go-to demonstrator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're running yo-yo contests and everything. And I was really embracing the whole like I'm a professional yo-yo demonstrator thing, which it's weird like to go back and think about because essentially like I had 
started yo-yoing as a professional yo-yo demonstrator. Like that was my job. That was, I learned on the job as a professional yo-yo demonstrator, which is so fucking weird. Um, but so I was, I was sort of doing all that and I was, I had started kind of seeing what was happening because we would go to juggling festivals and, you know, run the booth. And at these juggling festivals, we were starting to have more and more yo-yo players show up and we'd start running yo-yo contests at the festivals and at the IJA festival, Dale Oliver, um, starting in like 96, I think had sort of rebooted, um, the world yo-yo contest. And when I say the world yo-yo contest, like it's kind of insane to realize that this is the title that we had given it because it was 15 people standing in front of the infinite illusions booth in a gym. No, your way. While all the jugglers were gone somewhere else for a show. Like that was the world yo-yo contest. So 1996, it was just literally standing in the gym. Um, 1997 was Pittsburgh. Um, and we actually had, a stage outside under a tent, which was terrible. And even better, this is the most insane decision ever made. All of the other competitors were sitting in folding chairs on stage. <laughs> I still to this day have no idea why they decided to do that. But I mean, we were doing, you know, we were still doing like freestyle competition. That was the year that I pulled out the razor blade yo-yos and almost got myself disqualified. Um, and then 1998 was Prim Nevada and we had like a big full proper like theater stage. And I mean, and it just started to grow kind of exponentially from that. 98 was the year that, um, I, I mean, I placed, I kept placing fourth. I placed fourth, I placed fourth, I placed fourth in 98, placed fourth in 96, 97 and 98. Um, and 98 was when, uh, I got my first job as like a company demonstrator. And that was when I landed the job working for team Losi. That was after 98. That was it. basically like they came out to watch me compete in 98 and then offered me the job. So 99 is when I was working for team Losi. And that's when I started going out to LA and doing like promos and stuff around there. And then I would see you when I was in town. Wow. So it was Prim Nevada that got you the Losi gig. It was Prim Nevada. And I had like, I had started, I'd already kind of made a reputation for myself. I was making up a ton of tricks, um, you know, and but I was also like the 20 something covered in tattoos. Like I was starting to get tattooed and all my tattoos were like yo-yo and juggling related. I was making up a ton of tricks. I was, you know, competing. I was... I was, it was very easy for me to be a personality because that was just sort of a natural version of who I was. You know, I had yeah. like, I already had the theatrical, like performing background. So I was real comfortable, like trotting out the Steve show TM and, and doing that while yo-yoing. Yeah, no, at Prim Nevada, you showed up in a, yeah, suit with like all the, all the panache. I showed up in a three-piece suit and a fedora, came out and used like, I don't know, whatever swing band was popular that week. I think I got third place that year. But uh, yeah, Losi hired me on the spot. And then I spent a year or so working for them. But I mean, yeah, that, so I mean, that was, that was how I got started. That was, that was sort of, that was when I really came into yo-yos and decided that that was what I was going to do. And I have been. Ever since. Ever since. <laughs> Fucking weird. <laughs> 